The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like this show, follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. We'll walk you through the whole thing. It's a great way to connect with your network. It's a great way to entertain your friends. People who are connected to your business will be amazed at the level of quality when you invite them on a on a show as your guest, pod617.com. Go there to get started. Anyway, I have a great guest today. She's an old friend. She's a lawyer. Don't hold it against her. We're both lawyers, as a matter of fact. Her name's Laurie Israel. Welcome to the virtual studio. Laurie, how are you doing? Good. Nice to see you, David. Nice to see you. She's got a fancy mic at, in her home studio. Well, I'm going to call it that, Laurie. I know it's just your office. <laughs> but Laurie has written a book to a long time, although not that long. You're, you're still a very young woman. Let's point that out. Come on, Laurie. But the name of the book is The Generous Prenup. You're a family lawyer. The The book, The Generous Prenup, How to Support Your Marriage and Avoid the Pitfalls. I'm very impressed with anyone that could write a book. How long have you worked on this? Let me well, ask you that I was question. very motivated, and it yep. took me three years from start to finish, mm-hmm. and I was working full-time at the time. Mm-hmm. And I never stopped being interested in it. It never flagged. It kind of got bigger. I think I ended up with... I don't know, 30 chapters, because I found I needed to write about each aspect of prenups. Mm. And I'd like to first say that my book, uh, I was a little afraid to write it because I don't promote prenups. Mm. I think they're dangerous, usually done badly, and they hurt people. And so my advice is avoid them whenever you can. Mm -hmm. But if you must, read my book, um, because it will help make it better. That's interesting, um, because... Most family lawyers I know do recommend them. So we're going to get into this, and I certainly respect your opinion, Laurie. I'm, I'm ready to be persuaded. But <laughs> let's back up a minute. So you're, you've are you been a lawyer for, I was going to say a while. You're, yeah, 35 years. 35 years. Wow. Roughly. Okay. So, yeah, you started when you were four years old. And <laughs> so always family law? No, no, I actually started out as a tax lawyer. Okay. Um, in law school, I, I took a tax course, which we were, we were required to take. It was in Pennsylvania, and they make everybody take a tax course. And I just mm-hmm. loved it. So I took another seven. And then I got a job in a big firm in the tax department in Boston. And I s- still love tax law. And it does relate to a lot of the things I, I have done in my career. And it do. Where did you go to law school? I went to law school at Dickinson School of Law, which is in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It's in the country. I was living outside of Harrisburg at the time. Sure. So I drove 25 miles each way on the highway, and it was a great, classic, small law school. It was actually the oldest independent law school in the country. Now, 35 years ago wasn't that long ago, but just (laughs) just out of curiosity, was was it balance of male and female in your class at the time? Yeah, it was at that time. It was, That was pretty much the first first few years that that happened. Mm-hmm. It was sure. a pretty 50-50. So 
let's get into the book a little bit. So the when you say you it, the prenups can hurt people, what does that mean? Prenups, I I think that prenups are getting better, and I hope I'm having a really good influence on on the way people do prenups, both in the process, which can be very hurtful, and the result, which can also be hurtful. So the process can be hurtful when you have two people and there's two lawyers battling it out, and you have ten or twenty drafts, and the more the spouse with the more money, his lawyer or her lawyer sends a very rough prenup. Everything is mine. Whatever I give you is fine. Anything I have is mine. And I only give you anything when I die. And we're still married if I want to. Mm. So then it's kind of an uphill battle. And and the clients are, the the actual clients are kind of in the middle of it. Mm. And these are people that want to get married. They're in love, presumably, and they really care for each other. And it kind of pollutes the joy of planning for the wedding. And being married. So that's the process. I can imagine it is a terrible thing to bring up to your um, spouse-to-be because it's this sort of a hint, a whiff of, I don't really trust you, and I'm afraid you're going to leave me and then take me for all that I have. So, but let me ask you this. What, what is, is that a typical, if there, if there is such a thing, is that a typical arrangement for a prenup pretty much? We, we go in with and, and come out with what we had, so to speak. Oh, in, in a prenup. Well, first of all, it used to be that prenups would have nothing about death provisions. So if you're married to somebody for 45 years and they die, they can disinherit you the day before you're, you're, they die, and that's it. Mm. So in the last 20 years, people have been, at, at my urging and other people's, I, I, I won't let clients sign one without something about death provisions, whether it's a floor provision that says no less than 50% of my estate will go to my spouse if we're married at the time. So that's that's one of the things. There's also issues of inherited money and premarital money. Most prenups say anything you earn is joint, and mm-hmm. that's, that's the marital venture. Okay. And most states say that also in their laws. So if you, ca- you, come be... in, you come into the marriage with, let's say, uh, Jane marries Joe, Jane has uh, has a lot more assets than Joe. Hypothetically, she's got a she's got a million dollars coming okay. in, and uh, but then she's still a big earner, and Joe's earning his money too. But I guess what you're saying is, from the moment they get married, from there there on, we consider uh, no matter what each one of them owns, that's part of the marital estate, or, or no, whatever each one of them earns. Earns. That's what I what meant. Each Sorry, part of earns. them owns. That's the kind of thing you you might want to look at. Like, right. A uh, million dollars these days isn't like a million dollars twenty or thirty well, years right. ago. <laughs> it's a shame. And what happens if he starts earning more money and then he has a, a million dollars in assets? Are they going to keep their assets separate now, or do they take do they take a look in ten years and see what their their marital assets are and see and whether they should share the premarital assets? See, one of the problems with prenups is that it it creates a lack of commitment, a lack of financial joining. Mm-hmm. In, in many of its versions, even not the more extreme versions. And what happens is that if you don't have that financial interplay between partners, between marital partners, it takes away a huge part of the marriage. Mm. And and then it becomes easier to leave the marriage. So when you have a leaving the marriage with no no problem for you, 
and you just leave with everything you have. Right. Um, it, 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 it encourages, it actually encourages people to get divorced because they don't have to stay and work things out. Mm. So, but just to play devil's advocate, to go back to my example, Jane, mm -hmm. Jane comes in with a million, Joe comes in with less, they get married right. and the prenup says everything. If there's a prenup on the table, it says, but well, that million is mine. But then yeah. future earnings, we right. split. Okay, so yeah. there, so there it is. So, well, and then let's say, if you don't mind, let me just finish okay. my little story here about Jane and Joe. Yeah. And okay. so, two months goes by, and to her horror, Jane realizes Joe is having an extramarital affair. Uh, he says, "Oh, it just happened. I didn't mean for it to happen. Oh my God!" She says, "No, this marriage is over." Now, with the prenup, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. With the prenup. She walks away She, with her million. Her financial mm -hmm. picture is pretty much yeah. the same as before she got married. But without the prenup. She... The same thing happens. Why? Because if you're in a community property state, it's premarital money. She gets it back. If you're in Massachusetts, it's a short marriage. Everybody leaves with the mar marbles they came in on. Oh, is that right? You know, so it, yeah, and, and Massachusetts is an equitable property state and potentially inheritance are included, but everything is put into a big pot, including inheritance, premarital property, marital property that you earned during the marriage, all of you. And then it's it's divided equitably. And if there's enough marital property, then the premarital property or the inherited property, and if, and if it's that is kept in a separate account, then that doesn't get divided. So, so, so what it, so in what most it, states- yeah. What you talk about, that yep. million dollars right. in your scenario with a short marriage, that's going to stay with the wife. With the wife. Okay. Now, what if, uh, well, th that begs the question. So, uh, I'll give you another example. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, wondering, example, I'm wondering what the, if what you said. Same example. She has that million dollars and she's, she decide, they decide to have a family and she stops earning. And then he starts earning a lot of money. So he's earning a million dollars a year. Right. And they have, they have, some money saved up because well let me, let's make it less extreme. He's making two hundred fifty thousand a year, and okay. they live well, yep. and they don't really save a lot of money. They get divorced twenty years later. They've spent all their money on their lifestyle mm. and putting their kids through college. She has a million dollars, and he has nothing. But during that twenty years, he earned, he worked, and she didn't. Right. So should she still have that million dollars, or should it maybe be shared? Well. It seems like it should be shared. It seems like that would be the equitable thing to 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 follow along your the right. primrose so path. So what you try to do down. in a prenup right. with a good prenup is make it equitable. Okay. Think about every foreseeable situation. So, but would and, you concede that in that situation, a prenup would be useful? I mean, in, this, in that case, um, that's kind of a marginal situation. It depends right. how old they are, mm -hmm. because if they're if they're young, if they're in their twenties and thirties, and they're going to have a family. Probably the prenup would be less useful than than it would be in in other circumstances. Mm, but well, it could be useful, but if it was very very limited, and maybe if that million dollars vested over a number of years, and then you also have to take into account other things like what is her inheritance from her parents going to be? What is his likely inheritance? Because mm -hmm. that all enters into it too. So it gets kind of complicated. So have you? I'm sure the answer is yes, but have, have you advised yes. certain of, <laughs> I was going to say, have you advised some of your clients to don't do the prenup unless you really need to for some reason? I guess in this case, you'd be advising just 
one of the spouses, right? You wouldn't be. No, well, I most of the prenups I do now are by mediation. And most of the people come to me because they know I'm a mediator and they'd prefer to mediate their prenup at the first, first, first off, rather than seeing lawyers. And I, because it's mediation, I can do it in Massachusetts, but all over the country. And I do. And so they're seeing me together. If I see, if there's a, that's a very mar. if there, if that people came in like that and one person had like 300,000, they were both working they were both had good jobs. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend not. And I probably wouldn't do it because I think the damage is greater than the benefit for doing something like that. But have, has there been have there been situations where you they've sat down and they've said we wonder if a prenup makes sense and after they hear your explanation they're like yeah. oh good in other well, words you, you no do- I try to give both sides of it of course I don't give okay. one side side of it and I've had I've had mediation cases with people with f- fairly great wealth and fairly great family wealth where we went through a lot of planning for prenups I I keep a neutral stance when people come with a pro profile that they probably should have one. I I still keep a neutral stance and we work on it, but I've had several clients, several pairs of clients at the end of a lot of work and getting term sheets done and figuring it out who have decided not to have one after all. Mm, Okay. And sometimes that surprised me, but, Mm. but they just want, it was too complicated. They just wanted to trust each other, trust each other's goodwill and, and they didn't have one. Tell me about why you haven't burned out yet as a lawyer, because we were talking, we were, we were talking before we started recording and you were telling me how you're having trouble retiring because you enjoy it. And yet, and yet some would say you practice in one of the more contentious areas of the law that, that often leads to burnout. A year ago, a little over a year ago, I stopped practicing in the areas I had been practicing in aside from prenups, and that was estate planning, probate of estates, and divorces. Not litigated divorces, but collaborative divorces, negotiated divorces, mediated divorces. Mm. And so now all I'm doing is prenups. And sometimes that gets a little stressful, especially if there's negotiations still going on close to a, a wedding. But it's very, very positive because basically I'm helping people establish and figure out a financial plan for their marriage. Mm-hmm. They're getting married. They're very happy. They're in love and they, they can't wait to get married. They want to have a life together. So it's all really positive. Mm. I'm not dealing with death, mm. estate planning, doing probates of estates. It, it's interesting legally, but it kind of started to depress me a little bit <laughs> because these were clients I knew really well and it, it's sad. So now I guess you could call yourself a, a family lawyer and, and not call yourself a divorce lawyer. Yeah, I don't do, I am not doing any divorces now. Okay. So and you, not that I, it was very interesting work and I thought I really did it well. And and for a divorce lawyer, because I didn't litigate, I had a fairly stressless practice. So um, you get to, you get the end, the good end of the, <laughs> the marriage. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, hopefully uh, all ends of every marriage are great, but yeah, yeah you I'm get. I'm kind you, of the love doctor. Yeah, you <laughs> which is exciting, which is cool. So you must have a lot of happy people that you meet with. Have you ever officiated a wedding? I actually used to be a, for I think one term of seven years. I was I became a, a justice of the peace in Massachusetts. You did, and I officiated a bunch of weddings. You did. Oh, yeah. cool. And uh, tell me about that. Have you enjoyed those experiences? 
I think I was a little too, too talky. <laughs> oh, really? Seize <laughs> yeah. the microphone. I don't think I don't think I'm a great public speaker, but so so I yeah, I let it last after after seven years. But I was town moderator in my town for six years. Well, we have something in common. I was you too. I wow. was town moderator in the town of Sharon for wait. Oh. Wait, I think I did it for six years also. Yeah. Wow. Six years that was, was enough. That was really fun. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> it's, of like herding cats, right? Sure. I'm sorry. What town? Sit, tell me again. Uh, town, Plainfield. Plainfield. Okay. And it's is a it... town of 600 in Western Mass. Only 600. And okay. I, it was, I, was, I think I was very good at letting people, keeping people civil. For people who don't know, the small towns in Massachusetts, probably all over New England, have a town meeting kind of government where everybody in the town comes and votes on things. Right. And there's a town moderator that moderates the meetings. And so the town moderator has to use Robert's rules and and make and make sure everybody gets heard, but make sure people aren't fighting mm. each other and are civil to each other and, and get the information out so that the people of the town can vote. It's mm. democracy in its pure form. Yes. And, what was your experience you know, with it? <laughs> Hot and cold. I mean, it's it. overall, I, I was very glad I did it. it. It was a nice way to give something back to your town. And it was, it, it, it it's, it's really in Sharon, at least. It was a relatively small time commitment. It was the the bulk of the job is moderating those two meetings per year. Some of them can last several nights, but but yeah, and yeah, it, I, I I like I think what you were sort of getting at is the local government can be messy and weird, but there's something sort of elegant about that, as as counterintuitive yeah. as that may seem. It's uh-huh. it's not it's supposed to be a little bit messy. It's supposed uh-huh. to be the place where anyone can get up and say anything they want. And yeah. so yes, I mean I remember moderating yeah. some good things about there was one night was should we allow sales of hard alcohol in Sharon? And the answer was eventually no, because it was like a not in my backyard kind of thing. People mm-hmm. shared, you know, good, good, good choice, I guess. I don't yeah. know. And we then had, um, wind, wind uh, solar farms and uh, marijuana farms. And oh. the thing that was, I think I was really good at is I, I think I'm a really good mediator. Mm-hmm. And being town moderator, moderator is kind of a word that's pretty much close to mediator. Yeah. Um, and to so, let people even out the playing field so that people could speak their piece and make it productive right. for them. See, that what you just can. you just put your finger on it, I think, to make, make the discussion productive. Because the moderator, in a matter of speaking, has very little power. But in a way, the, the, just the way you sort of craft that meeting, the way you yes. you orchestrate it, like, mm-hmm. like, like a symphony, a very strange symphony, but... You can have, you can you can have certain sway over it. And did you ever? How did did you ever have to deal with people who were combative or wouldn't no, shut up? No, I, I didn't. I think <laughs> I, I was I was very good at diffusing people. I think okay. and and respecting them. I respected people on all sorts of the arguments that were that people were having. And so mm. I think it was a very it's it was by and large very very peaceful mm. and i think i had to shut one person up he was actually a friend i live in a very small town <laughs> right. so we have a lot of friends right. um in the whole tom time yep. that i was yep. moderator yeah i had to be very prepared mm-hmm. by by finding out all the issues reading about all the issues and and thinking about how to moderate each issue what might happen yeah you do have to because otherwise you're not able to determine whether the the comment it, that someone is making is outside of the bounds of the yes. argument. And that, and that 
that became uh, a chore sometimes. And Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, well, now now that we've talked about it, I kind of miss it a little bit, but but I don't think I'm going back. Well, as soon as I ran two, I ran two terms unopposed, and then when I heard there are a couple people interested in running, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good, I think. But yeah. I remember we had one woman who came up, and there was must have been some provision that allowed people to. Sp- no, maybe she got she got her uh, question on the warrant. I forget what the pre- procedure was to get it on the warrant, but I think she got it on the warrant, and it was something against the danger of certain tools or or drugs used in dentistry. It was a very specific thing that, and it turns out what she was asking for was it didn't really have. There was no like weight to that. It was more like a sort of aspirational pro- proclamation, and she was kind of an odd woman. And unfortunately, I didn't get to her till the very end of the meeting. And later at some open town, like meet the candidates thing, she called me to the carpet and she said, and I wanted to talk about that dentistry thing. And you did. And I, at first I was going to tell her, go to heck, but I, I <laughs> gathered myself and I said, be smart. And I said, you know what? We do our best to um, make sure that people get a fair amount of time for the matter that they're speaking on, but it's imperfect. And I think maybe that night we didn't do such a good job. And, and she said thank you she smiled and that was the end of it yeah. i was like wow <laughs> well, anyway. that was a very good thing to say well it's it, it, and half of that is just there is some power to people being heard there is yeah, a lot right. of them come for that right. and respected and exactly. i did respect yeah. the people that spoke they were very knowledgeable and all sorts of the issue and uh, the problem with the town meeting is that a lot of times people come to the town meeting without knowing the issues and without having studied them, which is understandable. And so you have to not only get the information out during the meeting, try to get enough people to talk to get all the information out so people can make rational decisions about each for each vote. Mm-hmm. Absol- absolutely so, right. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than having an argument based on something that's actually not true. So- so I have a question for you. Oh, now sure. that you're not town moderator, what do you do for fun when you're not doing <laughs> podcasts? I wouldn't call it fun. Um, <laughs> I have, yeah, I'm knee deep in podcasts right now. There's no fun for me. No, I do. I, <laughs> I watch a fair amount of TV, which I'll. I'm actually going to. Any recommendations? I do. I have one coming up a little later in the program when Lori and I offer something for you to check out. In all right, good okay. stuff. We're going to do that in just a moment. Before we get there, the generous prenup, how to support your marriage and avoid the pitfalls by Laurie Israel, is I take it available on Amazon wherever you right. get fine Amazon. books. Okay, yep. if, all the book, all the internet booksellers. Very good. Yeah, it's on Kindle. It's a print book and on Kindle too. That's useful. Excellent Kindle. Okay, before we get to good stuff, oh, I want... one more thing about the, oh the sure book. go ahead. The book Blake. is fun. The book <laughs> is fun. It's not it's not written for lawyers per se, although lawyers and mediators read it. It's written for for people that are in that situation or the families and friends of people in that situation to see what's involved okay. and see what the pitfalls are okay, and so, how, to, how to eliminate them or how to reduce them. Oh, very good. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's written by a lawyer. Some people would presume it was full of legalese. Yeah, and it's also not Massachusetts. It's nationwide. Oh, good. Oh, very good. All right. The Generous Prenup. Check it out. Before we get to good stuff, let me just take one minute to remind you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go if you want your own podcast. We get you started by either welcoming you to our Westwood Mass studios here or by sending you out a, a microphone on the house as part of the deal. You can do it from the comfort of your home. A podcast is a great way to connect with your network. You invite people and clients, excuse me, 
prospective clients or whoever you'd like to invite on your show, and they get a kick out of it, and you could be the next big podcast star and build a library that lives forever digitally. Go to pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network and Pod We Trust. All right, let's play good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. If I'm not mistaken, Lori, you have uh, a book to recommend to our audience. I have three books. Three books. They're all okay. written by a, a person named Coventry, that's C-O-V-E-N-T-R-Y, Edwards hyphen Pitt, P-I-T-T. Wow, They're okay. available on Amazon. She's a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I met her, but she's really amazing, and her books are great. They're not real long. One of them is called Engaged, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, Lessons from Inheritors and Their Significant Others on How They Navigate Family Wealth. Mm. There's a lot about prenups in that, and nicely she quotes me extensively, which is great. Oh, cool. Then there's another one she wrote that's called Raised, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, Lessons from Successful and Grounded Inheritors. So she she works a lot with people that have inherited a lot of money mm-hmm. and sometimes people that inherit a lot of money kind of find find it difficult to win their way in life and she's she, these books are really beautifully done very helpful for people and her other book is about aging healthy wealthy and wise um it's lessons from vibrant and inspiring elders on how they design their later lives very so that's cool one i really like to read coventry edwards Pit. Pit. And, uh, and yeah. then the other recommendation sure. is to read the columns in the Cut Magazine, which is the online version of New York Magazine by Charlotte Cowles, C-O-W-L-E-S. Charlotte Cowles. always interesting. And she writes about people and money and what happens if I don't pay my taxes. I'm reading some of her recent ones. She writes about once a week. I inherited millions from my mother and everyone knows. What should I do? Hmm. My boyfriend sucks at gifts. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very good writer and very good researcher. Who can do everything right and still be broke? Mm-hmm. So, I highly recommend her. Sounds like heavy subjects, but not a heavy read. Yeah, she's a, a good, lighthearted, but um, informative writer. Very cool. I will recommend a film that I just saw. So, there's a new documentary film on the Disney Channel. It's about the band U2, or sort of. It's about Bono and the Edge from U2. They go to Dublin with an unusual guest, uh, David Letterman, and they sort of trace their roots a little bit, and it's kind of a a heartwarming and kind of inspirational thing. I'm going to play a little bit of the trailer so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Tradition of storytelling is part of Dublin. It's in our music. Our songs, they're still growing, they're still emerging. But the question became, what is left when everything is stripped away? Where do you take it? Let's take it from the top. This is a bit of a day, isn't it? While Larry was injured and Adam was off making an art film, Edge and I asked David Letterman to Dublin to talk about our songs. Years of reflection has caused you to change lyrics in some of these songs. We wanted to strip away the artifice that inevitably emerges after you've been around this long. We seem to thrive doing something that's never been done before. 
I don't know if you fully understand what we're in for tonight, but you will be very happy you had this experience. Bono and the Edge. So that's just a little taste of it, but um, kind of an unusual special. It's um, it's it's very cool because you get sort of that that sort of whimsical curiosity of David Letterman, and then you get um, Bono and the Edge. And I'm not a huge huge U2 fan, but I you know I kind of like mm-hmm. them okay. But um, they visit different sites in Dublin. They get kind of deep on what Bono has been trying to accomplish his whole career. And there's some stuff about the history of Ireland, the independence of Ireland, and the and the struggles that were going on in that country when Bono was growing up. So it's kind of got a little bit of everything, and uh, I recommend it. Um, I take it you haven't seen this yet, Laura? It just came out. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Have you ever been to Dublin or Ireland? No. No. Uh, neither have I, but it seems like a very charming place. And um, so that is mine. So um, very good. Laurie, uh, you're a terrific guest, and um, I appreciate it. Uh, not not only sharing the, the cool stuff about your book, but tales from ghosts of moder- of town meeting past. That was fun. Yes, uh, I, so was. Um, if people, I know that, should we give out your website? If people are interested yeah. in learning about your services, yeah. please do. Yeah. It's laurieisrael.com, spelled L-A-U-R-I-E-I-S-R-A-E-L. And my email is laurie at laurieisrael.com. Very cool. I notice how I don't have the word law in that. I know. But... I took that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're so much more than the law. And the book, of course, The Generous Prenup. Please check it out. Um, thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to your pods on. Go to pod617.com if you want your own podcast. And on behalf of Laurie, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.